Well, y'all, hopefully you are doing well. We're going to be wrapping up our series today, Heaven. Next week, we start a brand new series, Winning with Emotions. Winning with Emotions. We all need to be careful on what we set our sights on. For some of us, we're starting a new relationship. For others of us, it's a new job. Or maybe we're trying a new vacation spot this year. We just got to be very careful what our expectations are as we get into that something new. Um, we just got to be careful what we set our, set our sights on. And I say all of that because it's really what the series is about, is about. So in 2008, as I was graduating seminary, we knew we did not want to stay in Dallas, Texas. We loved Dallas. We loved being in Texas, but we want to be close to family. And so our seminary had this job postings website and and that meant we also were leaving our, our position as I was a high school pastor at a large church in Dallas. And so a lot, there was a lot of change for us, but we knew this is really what we wanted to do. We wanted to get back to the East Coast. So our seminary had this job postings website. Churches all over the world would post their jobs at their churches. And we, we applied for several, and immediately we were called by one. I mean, it did not take long. I think we posted it, and like literally a couple hours later, I got a call Hey, listen, we got your resume. We would like you to interview for this position of associate pastor. And it was a church in between Erie, Pennsylvania and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on the 79 corridor. It was a small town called Meadville. And if you ever go to Lowe's or Home Depot and you see those blue plier looking tool, that is a channel lock. And channel lock is made in Meadville. In case you didn't know, there's some trivia. So we got there. Uh, for our first interview, and we were sitting in a co- around a conference table with about eight or nine of their leaders, and they said that they wanted a, a different kind of church, and what they meant by that is they wanted a go from a traditional model church to a contemporary model church. Basically, there's a lot of structural things that need to be changed, and I talked with the pastor and his wife afterwards. Jenny and I were like, listen, this is going to be a difficult thing. This is not going to be an easy thing, but they're like, listen, we believe that you can do it. Uh, you have all this large church experience, and so we're asking you to, to do this. And I'm like, I just, this is going to be hard, but I believe that it's possible. And so we prayed about it, and we felt like this was the right thing to do. And you know how most jobs have this honeymoon phase? It lasts weeks, months, maybe for some of you, a year. And you're feeling out the position, and the company is kind of feeling you out to make sure that you're right fit. Man, for me, it lasted a couple of weeks. It got so bad. It got so bad. I mean, we hung out for about a year and a half with this, but it got so bad that I got a letter in the mail addressed to me. It was sent to the church. And it said that I was better off dead, that I was no longer welcome with the change that I was bringing, even though it was requested, even though that was not acknowledged. And it was so bad. Guys, my stress, my anxiety was so high that I developed colitis. And I still have some long-term effects of that. And after a limited 40-day fast during Lent to seek God's direction, Jenny and I believe that we needed to leave. So we resigned and we actually found a position in Virginia, in Fairfax, which eventually led us to be planted out of their church here. Now listen, I don't know if I misunderstood God. I don't know if we misunderstood him, but I believe that that was needed for a season for us to really begin to grow in our faith and dependence on him. But I say all of that because we all need to be careful what we set our sights on. Last week, we looked at this, this verse that Paul wrote to a church in a, town, a city called Colossae. And this is what he said, Since then you have been raised with Christ. 
It's one thing to know that Jesus died for you. It's another thing to know that we died with him, that our old nature died with Christ. He said to set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He's like, man, we ought to be having our affection. We ought to be setting our sights on Jesus, that we ought to be longing to be with him. So as we conclude this series today, and I know some of you have called me and maybe you've uh, spoke with me after the service and you're like really interested with this whole idea of heaven. There's three books that I recommend. One is Heaven by Randy Alcorn. The other one is Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright. And then The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. Now remember, the goal of this series is for us to see how our picture of heaven impacts how we live on earth. And last week we learned that Jesus describes three realities of heaven. The heaven is now, but it's in another place that we can't see. It's a place that we go as followers of Jesus when we die. It's here, but at another time. It's where we're going to spend eternity, that God's going to create this new earth, a new heaven that's going to be connected. And then here and now, it's another way. It's another way that we're able to participate in God's kingdom here and now. Now, it's not fully God's kingdom because our King Jesus isn't ruling and reigning here, but we're able to experience the values of God's kingdom here and now, that people can experience God's value system on earth right now. So Jesus spoke of time in two different phases. You have this age, which starts at creation and goes all the way until God ushers in the new heaven and the new earth. That ushers in the age to come. And so what do we know about the age to come? What do we know about it? Where are we going to spend eternity? What will it be like? What can we expect? So we're not the only ones to have asked this question. Maybe you've asked this. and I know this has been asked of me. Maybe you've been at a funeral. You're wondering, man, is that person in heaven? Like, like where is that person at? And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, like, we want to know that too. Like, okay, where is that person? We're not the only ones to have asked that question. In fact, there was a, a church, a group of followers of Jesus, who had already lost sight of the realities of heaven after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. And they were worried about their loved ones who had died before Jesus' return. And so Paul writes to address their concerns. He says, listen, brothers and sisters, listen, we're all part of God's family here. We do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. You have some family members, maybe you have some friends who have died before Jesus has returned. So I don't want you to grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Because our hope is in this, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. That there's a bodily resurrection of all Christians who have died before Jesus returns. It's incredible. Whether you've been cremated, whether you will be cremated, or whether you have a loved one that has been buried, man, God's going to figure all of that out. And since Jesus has raised from the dead, we can rise from the dead. There's going to be a bodily resurrection for followers of Jesus, those who will die before Jesus' return. And so in another one of his letters, Paul wrote this, 
so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is so imperishable, meaning your body that is going to die, your soul will live on. It is raised imperishable, which means that you will have this new body that will not die. As most of us, I can remember, like I think for some of us, like we can go back and remember when our bodies looked, felt, and worked better. And if you can, one day you will. But unlike today's modern world, hope of the physical resurrection was a powerful thing among first century believers. It was over and above their hope of what happens when you die. They had more hope in the future eternal heaven than in the present heaven because they knew that they were going to get a resurrected body that was not going to die. That's what they were looking forward to. John Piper makes this observation in his book, Eternal Perspectives, Memories. He says this, It seems to me that the hope of the resurrection does not have the same place of power and certainty for us today that it had for the early Christians. I think one of the reasons for that is that we have a wrong view of the age to come. Yes, to die is gain, and yes, to be absent from the body is to be home with the Lord, but no, this is not our ultimate hope. This is not the final state of our joy. This is not the final or main comfort when we have lost loved ones who believe. And it's not to minimize the present heaven, but that's not our ultimate hope. Our ultimate hope is that one day there are, there, there are no more tears, there is no more sadness, there's no more sorrow, there's no more sin, there's no more death. And that's not going to happen until God ushers in the new heaven and the new earth. Leaving this present earth and going to the present heaven, it's great. It's awesome. But the ultimate hope is even better than that. So what's our eternal hope? Like what should we imagine in this future eternal heaven and earth? Why should we look forward to the new heaven and the new earth? So this is what John writes about the new heaven and the new earth. Oh, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven where we go when we die as a follower of Jesus, and the first earth where we live right now, has passed away and there was no longer any sea. Now, we teased this out the very first week. And maybe the reason why there is no sea is because we need a lot of land. There, there needs to be a lot of land. You think about all the believers in this age. From creation all the way to the new heaven, the new earth. All of those followers of Jesus, all of those believers in, in God. Could you imagine all of those people, right? All of us. So maybe there's a reason why there's no longer any need for a sea. And then he also, so if you see this, this picture, this is the new heaven and the new earth. It's connected. Right now, it's not connected. You have heaven and you have this present earth and then you also have hell. But now it's the new earth and the new heaven. They're connected. So he continues and he begins to contrast the two ages. He carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So not only is there a new heaven, a new earth, but there's a new Jerusalem, all right? There's this new city center. And it has a foundation, it has walls, it has gates, it has streets. And God's recreating, he's getting us back, recreating what life was like before sin. 
So you have this age before sin, you have this age after sin, what we're living in right now, and then you have the age to come. And so God created, and then after sin ruined everything, it cursed everything, there is redemption. And then with the age to come, it's recreation, right? It's getting us back to what life was like without sin. There's no interference with our creator, no interference with our maker. Full-blown intimacy with him. And so John continues. He simultaneously, God is simultaneously redeeming and recreating this world. He says, the city that does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp. That Jesus is referenced as the lamb of God. He is the eternal king, the king of kings, and spans all ages. And the world will be illuminated by the glory of God and Jesus, the Lamb of God. In one of his other writings, John says that Jesus was in the beginning and gave light to the world. And so before this age, before sin, if you, if you notice that there was light before there was sun and the moon and the stars. That was his, that was his glory. That was his glory. And so you have this age before sin, he gave light. This, sin ap- this age after sin, he became light. He becomes the light of the world. And in the age to come, he's the eternal light. And so John tells us that Jesus will be the eternal light and to give light and direction all things in this age to come. He writes, Then the angel showed me a river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It's the source of life for everyone. And down in the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and the servants will serve with him. John references the prior age and the story of creation. And like this sounds a lot like Eden, right? Using the images of a river, trees, fruit, and a throne. In the beginning, God saw the creation and called it good. He called it good. When sin came, it cursed everything. And in the age to come, there's going to be no more sin. In the age to come, the curse of sin will be broken. No more disease, no more death, no more betrayal, no more tears, no more sadness. The things that sin brings, we will not feel the effects of that. And then there's something fascinating. Did you see those two trees on the graphic? In the Garden of Eden, right, there are two trees. You have the tree of life and you have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a single choice led to chaos in the world. And in this age, the curse of death was broken by Jesus, choosing to let himself hang on a tree. And in the eternal heaven and the age to come, John references two trees on either side of the river as trees of life because there's no more need for good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil. There are two trees of life and heaven is characterized by eternal life for everyone. See, all the world, all the world is longing to be restored with this. 
This is how Paul describes it in Romans. He says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. That God knows who will be saved. And maybe it's one of us that needs to be saved and man, he comes right back. I have no idea. But what I do know is that he has a number of people that will be saved. And until that number comes, man, we are all waiting for that day until he returns. For the creation was subjected to frustration. See, Adam and Eve's sin not only affected the human race, it affected the entire world, man. It broke the world. not by its own choice, but the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. The reason why God is creating, recreating the new heaven and the new earth, the reason why he's doing that is because this earth is broken because of sin. And we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up into the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship and the redemption of our bodies. He's saying, listen, we ought to be longing for the day that we receive these new bodies and we live forever. Soul and our renewed body live forever and ever and ever. We ought to be longing for that day. Well, there's a danger to this. The, the danger is that you and I will have some really good experiences here in this age, on this earth, like right now. Like life is pretty good for us. And those experiences that give us a glimpse of the eternal heaven sometimes have the potential to create in us an attachment to this present earth and they make us fear leaving this world, consume our attention with this life and keep us from looking forward and living toward our one true hope. Jesus says this, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give each person according to what they have done. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And how you live on earth impacts how you will experience heaven because he's going to dish out some rewards. And Jesus taught about this repeatedly. In fact, one time Peter was so disturbed about Jesus' conversation with the rich young ruler that Peter thought that Jesus set the bar too high. In fact, Matthew writes about this. Peter answered Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. Jesus, I left everything to follow you. I gave up my fishing business. I don't have time with my wife. I'm with you. What then will there be for us? Like if you're telling the rich young ruler to sell his stuff and give to the poor. (laughs) Jesus, we've done all of that. Like what's in it for us? And he said, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, the age to come, the new heaven, the new earth, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses and brothers and sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake, notice, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. 
Did you catch that? This is not about how you and I get into heaven. This is how we will experience it. I mean, listen, if the question is, if you were confident, you were guaranteed a return of a hundred times, not a hundred percent, but a hundred times in the life to come, how much would you want to invest? All right, so now we're going to invite our team to give an offering. No, I'm kidding. We, we, would, we would not do that. I'm kidding. But listen, man, when you do invest here in what God is doing at the local church, I mean, every time someone is baptized, every time someone crosses the line of faith and becomes a follower of Jesus, and you get to hear their story, listen, man, you ought to feel a return on your investment, man. It's just a shadow and a taste of what is to come that ought to excite us. Because one day is coming that there are there, there are not going to be any baptisms. There's coming a day that no one's coming to know Christ because everyone in the new heaven and the new earth it already believes there's a unique opportunity we have right now to invest in God's kingdom so what you think about heaven impacts how you will live your life on earth and we've said this before you live toward what we look forward to in life and how you live your life on earth impacts how you experience heaven remember you, you live forever. You, you live somewhere forever. Where do you want to place your hope? Is it in this life and squeezing in as much as you can? Or in the eternal life where all the options are life for eternity? May we be people whose lives speak of the age to come. The hope of heaven and the one who made it possible and promises to raise us from the dead to experience all we were designed and meant when he created us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us to have these writings that we're able to look and hear about what the new heaven and the new earth will be. What it will be like and what we will experience. Father, I ask that our, our sights are set on you that we are longing to be with Jesus. But in the meantime, that we are doing everything we can to invest in your kingdom here and now. Because there's coming a day where we're not going to have that opportunity. And so, Father, I ask that you would allow us to be motivated and inspired to, to just invest in what you are doing at the local church level. Father, for those who are on the fence and they really don't know where they're going to spend eternity. I ask that they would recognize that you died so they could have life. I pray that they would put their faith and trust in Jesus alone. They would recognize, admit that they have sinned. Jesus died for that sin and they will call on Jesus to rescue them. Father, help us to be investing in your kingdom while we can. In Jesus' name, amen.